Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Good to have you here with us. It is Monday, January 16, 2017. It's Martin Luther King Day. I hope for those of you that are dialed in, if you're working, good. If you're not, enjoy your day even better. <laughs> we appreciate you tuning in to be with us. I'm looking forward to this podcast of the day. Again, this podcast is created by Mortgage Professionals. And I was chuckling in the back of my mind. I'll tell you that later. I'll tell you what's going through my head. Full bias. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals. And we're the proud recipient of the Progress and Lending Innovation Award. I was thinking, you know, some of us are more professional than others. And I was thinking to myself, it's not quite as professional as I wish I was sometimes on this podcast. But we have fun. And that's what this is about, transferring knowledge and providing you important updates on all that's going on in this industry. And we are really blessed and honored to have really some top guests come on the program. We've gotten such so much attention now in the marketplace that we have people knocking on our door wanting to come on. And, and so we're really thrilled to have Logan Motoshami joining us and with his housing market forecast for 2017. Logan has been very uh, accurate in predicting what's going on in the housing market and interest rates and all the other stuff. And uh, so we're really interested in all of his comments about where the economy is going and that. Now, if you have not listened to the podcast on January 2nd, you want to go back and do so. That was when we had Les Parker on, gave his predictions on it, and he is just issuing or just issued his updated forecast, And uh, but he gave us some highlights and insights into that. Very interesting. A lot of volatility this year is what's predicted. Then we had on Marina Walsh last week talking about the MBA's predictions, where they see things going. Not quite as wild as what uh, Les had predicted, but today we're going to find out Logan's perspective. So in the month of January, we always focus at the beginning of each year, uh, focus on what various ones are thinking about and what they're predicting. And I go to those that I follow and that I, I really respect, and Logan Motoshami is definitely one of them. He's a contrarian at times, and I really like that. So it's getting all the various perspectives, as they say in the world of um, uh, uh, communications, triangulating off of various people's opinions to locate where you think things might go. So stay tuned to the Hot Topic segment. Logan will be with us. Also want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, ArchMI, the creator of the Raystar program, Motivity Solutions, providing real-time reporting and dashboard scorecards as well as Velma, an efficient mortgage marketing and email platform, Simplifile, a real-time electronic communications exchange, the Mortgage Collaborative, the power of the network. I was just talking to David uh, Kittle about all of this a little bit um, earlier in the day. Very, very excited about our partnership with them. Also, DNH, moving your world forward through technology. They have been in business for 140 years. They employ over 5,500 people worldwide with 8,000 clients in 70 countries. You'll want to check out their latest um, mobile ready app the mortgage bot and how they're how they're meeting and responding to a lot of everything that's going mobile there's a lot of things going that direction so be sure to check out all that's happening at dh.com d 
1-800-815-5591. Let's talk about some of the upcoming conferences. Next week, we have the MBA's Independent Mortgage Banking Conference in Palm Springs. Alice and I, along with Bill Cosgrove and Aaron D., who's been on the radio program, will be presenting about mortgage operations, how to make your mortgage operations better, more efficient. And we're going to be really excited about that. And really, anytime I get on stage with Alice, it's just always fun. She's just such a good speaker. And uh, we have a great time doing it. And really looking forward to having Aaron D. and Bill Cosgrove join us. Then also February 1st is the Austin, excuse me, uh, the January 30th, can't skip over this, the Southern Secondary Marketing Conference at the JW Marriott in Austin, Texas, put on by the Texas Mortgage Bankers Association. And I am the opening keynote speaker there. I'm going to be talking about making actually a lot of content from the radio program, uh, from uh, looking at where the markets are going, but then also talking about some of the most important things that you need to be talking about, thinking about in your organization. You're here going to hear me say a lot on this program. You're going to be known more by your processes than your products and your pricing in 2017. So we're going to be mixing all of that in. Should be real, real good. Also, February 1st, I'll be uh, speaking at the Austin Mortgage Bankers Luncheon at the Austin Country Club. If you're in the area, I'd love to have you stop by there and join us there. It's already, I think that thing is nearly sold out. Talking about goals and objectives for how to how to move forward in those. February 14th through the 17th, the NBA's National Mortgage Servicing and Conference and Expo at the Gaylord Texan in Grapevine, Texas, as well as February 22nd through the 23rd. The Mergers and Acquisitions, MBA's Mergers and Acquisitions Workshop should be really good. We're looking forward to, I'm going to be moderating a morning session on the 23rd. We have all the top attorneys, some of the top people in the Mergers and Acquisitions area. We just had a conference call on that this last week. Should be a really good conference. Then also the Mortgage Collaborative Winter Conference conference which is march 1st through the 4th that's at the omni scottsdale resort looking for a warm place to come great place to come and network with their power of the network so that's it check out all the mba conferences and educational events that are going on at mba's event and then while you're there check and sign up for the mortgage action alliance joe Farr, the markets are closed but it's always interesting to hear what you have to say especially when we look back with some of the the, the interesting movement that's in the market and then there's a lot of focus overseas so what are you what are we focusing on this week i see cpi is going to be coming up so run us through what the yeah, cpi you know this week's got a couple pretty major things cpi is coming out the ecb uh results of the ecb meeting will come out on thursday and housing starts and fed speakers and and so you know that, and who knows where, uh, what kind of tweet might move the market. So uh, you always <laughs> yeah. have to be on alert. <laughs> Never thought we'd be having a tweet setting policy or, or set indicating policy. But, man, this is this is Well, it, it kind of happened uh, during his press conference last week where he yeah. – uh, he mentioned uh, uh, the pharmaceutical industry and, and, and needing to corral costs in the pharmaceutical area and, and uh, kind of created a sell-off in the pharmaceutical stocks, but also <laughs> created a little demand for MBS. So yeah, uh, it wasn't all bad. So, yeah, since the market's closed today, we'll just jump into to last week where, you know, there's only about a 330-second drop in prices, so essentially a flat week. Uh, the first part of the week was pretty good for mortgage rates in that uh, MBS prices improved Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Wednesday was that Trump press conference, which caused a little uh, – 
a little extra demand, I guess, for uh, for MBS and and MBS prices improved a bit on that. Um, then on Thursday, um, the uh, the stocks opened lower. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, opened higher, creating higher, a higher, yeah. uh, sell off. Yeah, higher, creating a little sell off in MBS. Uh, but much much of that was reversed uh, uh, as. Uh, the 30-year auction came out, uh, you know, an average 30-year auction. The big movement last week was really on Friday and, and somewhat of a surprise movement in that uh, PPI created a, a bit of a stir. Uh, inflation's been a concern, as we talked about, you know, the wages that uh, the wage gains came out uh, on the jobs report day, and that caused a bit of a sell-off in MBS. Uh, PPI is a really pretty minor inflation indicator, but it showed a pretty large jump in uh, in prices. The core PPI jumped from uh, 1.3 in November to 1.6 in December, and that was at the same time a, uh, a weaker than expected. You know, not a bad uh, retail sales report, but weaker than expected. And still, MBS prices declined. Uh, Friday was volatile. We saw a, a big decline early, a recovery, and some favorable price changes, and then a, a drop at the end of the day. Uh, also coming out on Friday was uh, uh, consumer sentiment. Now, it was a, a little bit short of the prior measure for consumer sentiment, but the prior measure was like a 12-year high, 10-year high. I mean, it was really a good number. So staying at those elevated levels was... Uh, was good, but also helped push MBS prices a little lower Friday morning. So, and then you know we kind of got out of order, but we have uh, uh, already gone over kind of what's on the on the calendar this week with with CPI on Wednesday, ECB on on Thursday, housing starts on Thursday, and Fed speakers just about every week uh, on the on the calendar. So that's a lot of activity. Sorry for taking you off the game there, but I was looking at uh, what is on the calendar, and it's always a little distracting, CPI and some of the numbers. But, I mean, I, I look at your service, and I'm looking at it constantly. I'm logged in, and I have it on my mobile app. By the way, it's a great mobile app. Good job. Cool. It is. You. Yeah, thank what you. you. Thank you. You're doing a great job on that. And then overall, just how does anyone manage volatility without having this kind of service? I don't know. So if you want to learn how to sign up, stay tuned. We're going to be right back after this brief work and information on how you can sign up for the MBS Quote Line service. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS QuoteLine delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS QuoteLine, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS QuoteLine today at MBS. MBSQuoteLine.com. MBSQuoteLine.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. So good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in. I'm looking to see if Paul Mollo dialed in today. Usually we have him on at this point, but I am uh, thinking he may be taking MLK, Martin Luther King Day, off and I uh, hope he has a great time. I'm looking at their website right now. It's a great website. I hope you sign up for imfnews.com. There, go sign up for their newsletter. A lot of good information up here, and they are publishing 
uh, and keeping us current on everything that's happening. So uh, good information. I hope you check it out. But it looks like from based on what I see here, it looks like they may be taking the day off because it's not updated right now. So we're going to move on after that. We're going to move over to Alice Alvey and get an update on what's happening with regulation. I know, Alice, your new year is off to a great start. And uh, you're really busy. It's good to hear. It's good to have you taking time out of your busy day to join us. What you got? Thanks, Dave. Well, yeah, as uh, everybody's trying to get geared up for Inauguration Week, right, uh, there isn't a lot going on that's new other than appointments. So, you know, all eyes are on what's going to happen with Richard Cordray, which I uh, I know Paul oh, yeah. would be reporting on, right, in terms of, you know, who actually is going to get in that seat. Um, so I've been looking at some of the reports, and, you know, I can never say this gentleman's name. I apologize, but it's Re- Republican Congressman. Is it Randy Neubauer? I, for, I can't remember how he says his last name. But he I think is it is Neubauer. Actually, yeah, and he is the one whose actually name is coming up, and there seems to be some rumbling about people thinking, well, he's the guy who doesn't want the CFPB to be in place in the first place. So how do you put a person like that in charge of that department? Well, I, it prompted me to go back and take a look at some of the pending legislation we've talked about over the last couple of years for what does replacing or changing the CFPB look like. And his particular piece of legislation was about creating a financial product safety commission. So it's right in line with several of the other bills that came about over the last three years minimum uh, that have talked about creating a commission instead of just this one-person authority and really making changes to the overall structure of the CFPB, not throwing it out the window, you know, but giving it some accountability, which we have all said it needs, uh, because right now with the structure, there's no accountability in terms of authority and the yeah, decisions that absolutely. it makes and no budget account of, uh, accountability that we need to have in place. So I think that's really the heads up for everybody in this industry. You know, saying, well, will Dodd-Frank get repealed? Well, the first thing is to address the commission, right, address what is going on with this regulator. And it looks like uh, President-elect Trump is on place to, at least the rumor mill has it, that there may be definitely a position change there. And that will certainly start the wheels rolling uh, that we'll watch very closely for you on this program. So that's my my big heads up. Um, Also, don't forget, everybody, about the FHA-MIT change we have seen all Lenders rescheduling closing. Um, so, as you're looking at loans that are in process with FHA, you do need to go back, conduct a financial analysis, and notify your customers of this change if they are due to schedule the close in the next two weeks. You don't want to be caught that you closed somebody who didn't know they could have had a lower monthly payment if they had just simply waited literally a day. Now, capacity issues yeah. are going to come into play, I think, for your FHAs, but you must do this. So analyze your FHA pipeline and make sure you address that. So those are my two big points for today, Dave. And I know Logan always has a lot of great information, so I want to make sure we allow enough time for him. Yeah, well, it can be, it'll be great. I appreciate you uh, staying on. And I know you've got a lot going on, Allison. So for those that want to get you involved, and certainly the industry needs your services, so how is the best way for them to get a hold of you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you can uh, reach me through my email, aliceindicom, I-N-D-E-C-O-M-M dot net, or you can certainly call us at 
0200. We are doing a lot of Humda reviews these days and mm. everybody's <laughs> working to get those reports done and um, looking at, oh, my gosh, what's going on. And uh, one other quick point, mergers and acquisitions candidates, you are the ones who absolutely need somebody in to reconcile what went on between those two companies and Humda reporting. Uh, oh, that's actually a painful thing you find out afterwards. So give us a call. Anyway, that's yep. my shameless plug for Happy Martin Luther King Day, everyone. Yes. A great man <laughs> who absolutely deserves that we uh, have praise and pay attention to the legacy that and that he left for all of us. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you so much, Alice. Appreciate you very much. Folks, we're going to be right back after a couple words from our sponsors. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Simplifile has technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents via real-time chat and messaging, allowing you to track changes, send, receive, and validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arise. All of this in a real-time electronic communication exchange. And best of all, you have a complete audit trail of all communications. To learn more, go to Simplifile.com or call our good friend Nancy Alley at 1-800-460-5657. Ah, so good to have you back with everybody, with us, everybody. It is, uh, we're off to the races with this new year. Interested in what's going to be going on. Stay tuned to the Hot Topics segment with Logan Motoshami. But let's find out what's going on in some of the headlines. We have Sam Garcia of Mortgage Daily with us. Check out MortgageDaily.com. Sam, good to have you here, friend. Happy New Year, and can't wait to get your thoughts. Hey, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Um, Always a pleasure. Let's see. Our mortgage market index, which is a reflection of rate lock activity by open close users, rose by a third from the week that included New Year's through the week that included January 13th or ended on January 13th. So business was up last week, uh, but primarily because it was coming off of the New Year's holiday. And of course, we don't use seasonal adjustments. Um, What took off the most last week, though, was refinances. So a little couple of weeks of lower rates um, has brought some interest back in for apparently some of those who were on the fringe with, you know, as far as benefiting goes from refinance. We've, um, we had our first week of the first quarter, or I'm sorry, fourth quarter earnings season. Um, had a few uh, mortgage companies or banks put out their uh, financials, and here's what we've got so far when it comes to mortgage originations from third quarter to the fourth quarter. Chase was up 8% to $33.5 billion in the fourth quarter. Uh, First Republic Bank increased its origination 6% from the third quarter uh, to land at $3.5 billion, uh, the most recent period. Wells Fargo was up 3% to $72 billion. PNC 
declined 3% to $3 billion, and Bank of America was down 10% from the third quarter, down to $18.4 billion. So that's the first week of earnings report uh, and you know, the origination statistics that they put out there. Um, and most of the numbers seem to be pretty good when it comes to profits, and uh, servicing is kind of a mixed bag, who's growing, who's shrinking. But we do see assets tend to hold up lately, at least in this quarter so far. Um, there was a wire story that we put out last week uh, about Republican Senators Ben Sasse, S-A-S-S-E, and Mike Lee, who have written a letter to Vice President-elect Mike Pence requesting that Trump quickly remove CFPB Director Richard Cordray when he's uh, done with inauguration there. So um, they're asking for that, <laughs> <laughs> that action promptly. So, yeah. Everybody's keeping an eye to see if it happens earlier than his full term. But uh, um, we, we did a story last week about some mortgage lenders that have risen to prominence since the 2008 financial crisis. Um, one I wrote about was NationStar, uh, which started out as Novacorp back in 1994. Uh, in 1997, the company formerly known as Syntex Corp acquired Nova and changed the name to Syntex Home Equity. And Check, as it was known back then, operated as a conservative subprime originator and issuer until 2006 when it was acquired by Fortress Investments. Um, and it okay. was named, it was renamed NationStar. Um, it narrowly dodged the fate of the whole subprime sector, um, managed to come back with a focus on servicing and originating uh, conforming paper. Um, and you know, it's been successful because at this point now, instead of having, you know, gone away like much of the subprime sector, it's the fourth largest servicer based on our mm. uh, fourth quarter survey. So that was an interesting story. And another one that was in there was about uh, uh, PennyMac because, you know, Stan Curlin, as you know, left his job as president and chief operating officer at Countrywide in 2006. And two years later, after the subprime sector had disintegrated and with the worst of the financial crisis about to erupt, Curlin uh, landed some investors and launched PennyMac in March 2008. Um, they've ha they had a heavy focus on correspondent lending, and they've gone from a startup to now they're the fifth biggest mortgage originator based on our third quarter uh, report. So another story of something that, you know, unexpected happening. And, of course, you know, the interesting part is they launched it right at the – when a lot of companies were just – even good companies were at that point were still were going, going down and the whole yeah. financial system was at, uh, at risk. But uh, um, Jenny May put out its uh, indication or its uh, origi origination uh, issuance uh, data, and it indicated that it had $526 billion in issuance data. Uh, during all of last year, uh, and that turned out to be the biggest number on record, and we've got data going back to just 1980. I would have to assume that's probably uh, even since the founding of Jenny, it's the biggest month. And they also had a 1.7 trillion uh, outstanding in Jenny May security, so that turned out to be the most that we ha could find based on data mm. back to 1990. So some big numbers being achieved there by Jenny. Um, one last thing here is um, in-center mortgage advisors announced uh, an offering last week of mortgage servicing rights on uh, $1.4 billion in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans, and a majority of those loans were retail originations, so, uh, one of their first offerings of this year. And those are some of the biggest headlines we have. Some of the, the bigger headlines. Week. Yeah, some good well, stuff in there. 
And what are you what are you seeing as far as uh, your numbers when it comes to the number of participants? I know one of the things you track a, a lot of data on is the number of people that are in, involved in the industry. Are any updated numbers here, recent numbers, or are those to be coming here soon? Yeah, we we do have some updated numbers, um, and you know we, what you see, you know, moving on on a court, we do it quarter by quarter, and uh, we're seeing more of a number, you know, more market share gained by uh, non-bank uh, originators this last yeah, year. So, yeah, that so, is um, definitely you know, going on, yes. So what happens is, you know, we get that number in, and that's part of what we determine how the, you know, our estimate of uh, the number of people working in the industry. And then uh, you get the actual, you know, we get data from FDIC, and uh, we get uh, Callahan and Associates gives us data on the credit unions, and then the Conference of State Bank Supervisors gives us data on the licensed originators. So it's kind of like a moving machine there trying to estimate how much uh, – what the volumes looking like and which who's doing what portion of it just because you know we'll have one set of data one month and then we get an update with you know better numbers and it just keeps it's a flowing thing you know yeah it um, is yeah there's but, uh, i think there's a lot of optimism overall about you know what this year could look like i mean there's a lot of people they're, they're pensive is probably the right word hoping for the best but possibly getting ready to adjust staffing if they don't see volumes of interest rates truly spike up is, is what we're going to see. But we're going to have Logan well, Modish. Go ahead. And we we see, um, like, you know, Wells Fargo is usually, like, the first company that starts. They I mean, they are very quick uh, about aligning their uh, staffing numbers with their production. And then the banks in general are much faster. Uh, so you see some of the non-banks, the smaller companies, wait longer. It's going to go down. Um, you, you know, there's, there's just no hope we'll do that kind of volume unless – you know, we have an insane purchase market, which, you know, doesn't nobody's saying that or nobody's speculating that. So I wouldn't expect right. that. Yeah. So we've got that, you know, drop in refinance business, and that's absolutely going to cut into staffing. And again, I, like I say, at the bigger institutions first, some of the smaller ones, like I've mentioned before, you know, we're going to see them take a little more risk, get into some products, maybe that people have been a little bit nervous to get into, especially now that you have uh, a lot of uh, less regulation on the horizon. Um, right. You know, that's going to even add to that. So, you know, maybe we'll see uh, the return of the new uh Alternative A 2.0, you know? Yeah, I mean, that, well, that'd be interesting. Gosh, would be interesting. Well, you do a great job. You've got a great website. I encourage people to check it out and uh, get over there. Uh, then also I encourage them just to get a hold of you. You've got a lot of great information. It's a great place to advertise. And uh, so be sure to do so. Get a hold of Sam at samgarcia at mortgagedaily.com or call him at 214 214- Five two one thirteen hundred. Sam, great to have you with us, and look forward to hearing your uh, report next week. And uh, all right, thank you, sir. Friend. You betcha, friend. Folks, we're going to be right back. We're going to go over to Jim Jump, talk about the Arch MI. A lot of people know that the merger is well underway. A lot of people, the merger, you know, there's, there's always a certain amount of casualties that go on in any merger. I was talking what's going on over there at Arch with the acquisition and merger of United Guarantee. They're doing an amazing job, but I encourage you to stay in touch with your account representative. And uh, But one thing that is definitely going to be surviving is Jim Jump, his marketing team, as well as the Raystar app. So let's stay tuned and hear what Jim has to say and give us an update on the Raystar app. Hi, David. Thanks for having me on, and we're happy to be a proud sponsor of the program. And today I'd like again to talk about Raystar from Arch Mortgage Insurance. 
RateStar is a revolutionary tool that allows mortgage originators to dynamically price mortgage insurance and match coverage to Archimai's most competitive rates. And that's important because it allows you to compete more effectively, qualify more borrowers, and of course close more loans. That's the power of RateStar. Originators from around the country are letting us know just how quick and easy RateStar is to use. And all you need is your NMLS number, and you can access RateStar anywhere, anytime, using multiple points of entry, including most LOS systems, product and pricing engines, and through our websites at archmi.com and archmicu.com for credit unions. And of course, it's available through our mobile app for smartphones and tablets. RateStar makes it easy to choose what type of mortgage insurance coverage your loan needs. You just touch, tap, and go. Quotes are delivered in seconds and represent our most competitive ArchMI rates based on the strength and quality of the loan application. And I have to tell you, David, getting a mortgage insurance quote has never been so powerful or so simple. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you and say thanks. Have a great day, everybody. So much appreciate what the folks there at ArchMI are doing, so, and a lot of what a lot of them are going through as it relates to this March merger. Normally, we'd have the prom, profit doctor with us, but he is not going to be able to join us. He is taking the day off, and imagine that, enjoying the MLK Day. He's with family, and uh, we're uh, thrilled to have him with us. But So we're going to run over and catch the motivity, John Maynell's uh, Key Performance Indicator of the Week, been a little while since we've had one of those on here. Looking forward to it. So let's talk about the KPI of app to underwriting. John Maynell. Hi, Dave. Thanks very much. Great to be back. And this week's key performance indicator is application to underwriting cycle time. This KPI is a measurement delivered at business days, and tracking this metric helps lenders ensure that their processes upstream from underwriting are as efficient as they can be. Our clients generally find that the sooner their qualified borrowers receive an underwriting decision, the less likely those borrowers are to shop around. So this KPI can ultimately boost app-to-funded pull-through as well, which is the KPI we focused on last week. So we're really beginning to connect the dots between operational efficiency and customer satisfaction. And once again, this and other KPIs we will be talking about in the coming weeks always demonstrate that what gets measured gets results. And uh, with that, I will thank you again, Dave, and turn it back to you. So true. Really, it's, it's really amazing how that can make such a difference. So we appreciate the folks there at Motivity Solutions and, uh, and helping us stay up on all that's going on as relates to KPIs. Well, without further ado, I am looking forward to having our next guest on. He is someone I've had on here regularly and routinely to the program. I'm thrilled to have him back. And Logan Motoshami is with us. He is the Senior Loan Manager at AMC Lending Group in Southern California. He has uh, a lot of credits to his name. He's also known as the Chart Guy, the Housing Guru. And to many of us, he is someone we have come to respect and follow. One of the things I have often talked about is Logan has used effectively social media to challenge conventional thinking. A lot of the people that are you know, kind of following along with everyone else, but his astute analysis of economic data and having done it for years has really brought us a unique and informed, unbiased perspective on the financial markets. So it's really good to have Logan join us. Logan, good to have you with us again, my friend. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's great to be here. You know, it's always fun to have you on. And when you look at housing, and I've read your housing predictions. And by the way, before we start off, I want people to go out and know about your website. And they can go to Logan Motoshami, 
and uh, and and really look at all the information that you've put up there. You do a great job, and it's Logan L O G A N Motoshami M O H T A A S H A M I dot com, and um, listen, grab his website. It's got some great material on. It. But anyway, welcome to the program. Let's talk about housing. And um, are we going to see exa- – I want to start with the existing home sales topic. It's one of the topics where I think we're most – we're hoping to see some growth and continued growth. So how much growth will we see in 2017 as it relates to existing home sales? Well, in 2017, we're not going to see much growth, just like we uh, saw in 2000. Did you say not much growth? So not, not much, much growth. growth. No. Okay. Is it, is it a factor of and rates? It's not a factor of rates. Uh, this housing – cycle was, uh, you know, from the start of my work, it said that you don't have the basic core fundamentals to have a strong housing cycle because everything you would need for that is, is not available until about years 2020. So uh, 2016, uh, a, a good example is the, the mortgage purchase application data was showed 25% growth in the heat months, the most important months. And I was looking for about 5.43 million homes sold for existing homes in 2016. We're 12 months in. We have one more report. We're at 5.429 million, coming from 5.3 million. So we, we, we don't have the demographics to have a strong housing market. And if we even have a negative growth, which is, which is a possibility this year, uh, I wouldn't read too wow. much into it just because we're, we have millions and millions of Americans buying homes and the, the quality of the report is much better now than, let's say, 2014, because we're having more and more mortgage buyers, and we're having less cash buyers. Cash buyers are falling. They've been falling for a few years now. So you lose uh, you know, one aspect of the demand, and you're growing the other. But you don't have really good housing demographics until years 2020. So 2008 to 2019 was always going to be light. And all the data that we've seen for the past few years has, has uh, shown that to be the case. What is going to be driving existing home sales? When you look at this, and then I want to get over and talk about home prices, but what do you think is going to be driving the existing home sales? The entrance of millennials or an increased presence? They're the largest single demographic group from an age standpoint that's in buying, 35%, if I recall correctly, in 2016. So what do you think as it relates to demand or driving that, and so, which really goes to marketing. How can our lenders, our listeners, market effectively to where the market's going? Actually, the first-time homebuyers are, are actually 50% of the purchase market now. Uh, first-time homebuyers yeah, are 50%. Wow. Yeah, 50%, 50% because uh, the, the NAR is a survey, but if you actually look at the loan volume, it's actually 50%. Existing new homes, you, you, you put them together. But they're, they're, That's great. The millennials are now – Millennials are now in their mid to early 30s, and that's the key. So you always have the ability for some people to move up. Uh, existing homeowners, have some of them have the capacity to move up. That's one aspect. Uh, millennials are still, are, are still very young in the sense that our biggest demographic age group is ages 21 to 26. Uh, that's way too young to be a home buyer. So you still have a right. few more years left before they come in to buy. But – Millennials are buying. I think the the notion that you know first time home buyers were were completely out of the market wasn't ever true. If you actually look at the volumes of it, but uh, it, it's just not enough of them uh, to to really push the market higher. And I and for years I've said it's it's harder and harder for existing homeowners to move up. This is a post nineteen ninety six phenomenon. It's in the data. It correlates to home prices deviating from fifty year norms. 
and and that's still in another asset, but you're going to lose the cash buyer because the distressed properties are coming lower. So the quality is going to get better, but we shouldn't see much growth, at least for existing home sales. And and one of the things that happened in 2016 is people kept on saying, well, home sales are held back because of inventory. Inventory hit a cycle low. Existing home sales hit a cycle high because mortgage demand hit a cycle high. But if you look at the mortgage purchase application data, we're only back to 1998 levels. This is a demand story, not a supply story. A demand story, not a supply story. Very interesting. Uh, by the way, I've received several messages say, Dave, could you repeat Logan's website because they're wanting to go to it. So a number of you listeners that are listening, go to the website. And if you want to follow along, he, we're not scripted on him, but where you can see all the information. Again, it's a Logan, L-O-G-A-N, Motoshami, M-O-H-T-A-S-H-A-M-I.com. So there you have it. You get, get logged in while we're going along the way here. Uh, we're going to toss the mic over. Uh, Alice, I'm not sure she's going to be able to continue to stay with us. She's there backing me up, but she's working on a project. So we're going to definitely get Joe in on some comments and uh, a little bit later. But let's talk. You brought up house prices. And I'm really interested to see what home prices. We've seen some really good growth in home prices. But, you know, and, and you're saying that we can see this continue to move higher in 2017? Yes, because, you know, home prices are a function of inventory. It's not a function. So it's a supply and demand issue then. I mean, the the, uh, post-1996, the only times we've had six months of supply inventory was from 2006 to 2011. That was more due to the housing bus correlating into the Great Recession to distress supply. And I think that the biggest key that that at least some of us economists and analysts and people that we, we try to tell people is that you have to look at home prices as adjusted to inflation. If you look at it adjusted to inflation, it's not as high as people think. So you have, you have a lot of people who keep on saying, well, home prices have to come down, home prices come down. Inventory is low. Demand is picking up. Home prices still have legs. Now, there's certain pockets of the area where it's very heated, and you, know, you could question if the supply is going to increase there to bring prices down. But it, as long as inventory, national inventory stays under six months, uh, demand grows, home prices can go up. So that's kind of the model that I, I'm, I'm trying to tell people to follow that rather than listen to somebody who says, well, interest rates spike, home prices will go down. Interest rates have gone up three times in five years, and every single spike has still created home price growth. The level of growth is always uh, uh, fluctuating, but inventory is still low, demand is rising, national home prices have another leg higher. So when does affordability kick in and start having an impact? I'm looking at a graph on your website that you cut and pasted in there from Calculated Risk blog. I really love Calculated Risk. It's a great <laughs> website, and he's got you know puts up some great information in here. And so you and I both look at this thing, and I'm looking at this number approaching. I mean, the, the trend lines are good trajectory here to possibly top out and exceed the highest they've ever been in, if I'm looking at, which is around 2006 or 2007, and then it tipped over in 2008, started heading down on the, the well-publicized decline. But we bottomed out, and we're heading back up. What's, um, are we going to peak in 2017 over this, or is it a, or is it a beyond event to after home prices peaking beyond the, the initial peak? Of, of you know, nominal, nominal home prices are – are actually higher than than 2006 in certain areas of the U.S. Adjusted okay. to inflation, it isn't. Um, so if you look at, you know, we always look at a lot of economic things adjusting to inflation. For some reason, we don't really focus on adjusting to inflation on home prices. So 
prices still have legs. I would argue that uh, we've seen 20 years of housing affordability be hit from the post-1996 move. Again, and part of that is that it's harder and harder for people to move up, especially move up to a bigger price home that's rising faster. Uh, so I, I don't I, – uh, we've always had a housing affordability issue, especially for people that are renting. It's more, much more difficult to be able to own a home. Right. Part of that has been helped out as interest rates have gone lower um, uh, for, for four decades now. Uh, that alleviates some of that, but we I, we still have legs for demand and uh, certain hot pockets. I think it's just you know you have certain areas of the U.S. where people just make a lot of money that buy homes, and then the rest are renters. And renting demand has been the strongest we've ever seen. Most household formation in this cycle has been on renting, and that'll still continue. So uh, I think uh, to me, affordability has always been an issue for many years. Uh, we see it in the data line. But uh, it, it's not yet there to where I would think, you know, we would see a really strong uh, reverse in existing home sales. We're going to run over to Joe Farr right after this next question. So, Joe, get ready. But I want to talk about new home sales because what is a big contributing factor, factor to inventory is new home construction. And we're seeing new home sales well, why don't you talk about new home sales, and then why are we not seeing builders move more quickly to you know, address the inventory issues? It seems like this seems this logical. Most, this is the most interesting discussion in economics right, for housing in this cycle. Um, uh, for those who follow my work over the years, I said there's no way the builders are going to be building out homes in this cycle. They had an overinvestment thesis in the past. They, they home sales collapsed. 80, 82% from peak to bottom. And then you have a very weak demographic patch. So the builders were building only the high-end homes early on, and those were the only ones who were selling. But for the last two years, I, I've made this uh, single thesis that I think is the most important thing for housing economics. If median home prices do not go up for new home sales, new home sales has growth. And that's exactly what has happened in the last two years, is that median home prices have gone nowhere. And this is a more of a function of builders bringing smaller homes into the marketplace, and that will facilitate demand. And yet, still, eight years really into the cycle, we are just nominally above what we would see in the tail end of a recession, with monthly supply actually higher than any time from 1999 to 2005. To 2005. So the builders are doing exactly what they should be doing because profit margins is, is their game. They have shareholders to, to account for. There is no way they're going to bring more supply when they don't have the demand. And I think this is the lack of understanding of how demographic economics works for housing. There was no way the builders were going to bring in 1.5 million people. I remember in conferences back in 2012 and 2013, everybody said builders are going to be at 1.5 million total starts. And I think there's no way – they would do that to themselves because you don't have the demand. Now, come years 2020 to 2024, then you just have a higher supply of humans uh, in that time frame. So don't expect much construction. If you look at total construction, not much growth. You saw single-family growth, but you saw negative growth really in multifamily. So this is now many years we were, people were talking about this 1.5 million or 1.7. We're nowhere close to that. That's exactly where it should be considering where our demographics are in this country. Well, with that, I'm going to toss it over to Joe and let him come in with some of his comments. I know he's always interested. He's always got some great questions. So, Joe, let's toss it to you. 
the question I would have now has to do with mortgage rates and, and what you see going forward because uh, there are so many things that are uh, hard to hard to weigh into how they might affect mortgage rates, like whether or not fiscal policies are going to be uh, uh, are going to do a good job of creating uh, growth, whether or not monetary policies are going to affect mortgage rates. So, Logan, just what are your what are your thoughts about rates, and what are your primary drivers of what you see happening? You know, this is this is another interesting topic uh, because there's a lot of variables here that that people just aren't accustomed to in this cycle. Uh, for many years, I've talked about this 1.60 to 3% channel on a 10-year. That one that 1.60 is such a key level on the 10-year. You work off of that. I don't believe in higher rates uh, uh, until we get better demographics creating inflation. So uh, we've had three moves in this cycle. Uh, uh, and they've all been capped out because they've stuck in the channel. The only time we break under 160 is a European economic event, either 2012, the Spain default fear trade, which drove rates to lows, and then the, uh, the bread exit. But outside of that, we stay in this range. You might have a headline risk where computers sell the bond market off a little bit above 3%. I, don't, I just don't think – Rates are going to go higher. I think uh, inflation is low, but not, not just here, but around the world. And I'm not sure if our bond market can deviate so much more from Germany and Japan and everyone else. And that's why I, I still say 1.6 to 3% channel in the 10-year, which means 3.5% to 4.5% in rates. And uh, uh, I, I don't see fiscal policies actually happening this year. Uh, it's more of a 2018 story, which I'm, I'm endorsing. I am so much talking about Steve Bannon's trillion-dollar infrastructure spending plan, which is actually deficit spending, which is exact words where the Republicans are going to hate me because I want to borrow money <laughs> to fix stuff up. If he does that, that is, that'll be a bonus for the economy, um, and, and I'm hoping President-elect Trump actually listens to him instead of trying to do tax credits and selectively picking infrastructure plans. But uh, I, I just don't see, you know, if you look at where core inflation is uh, right now and where wage inflation is at, the tenure should be a lot higher. I just think with trillions of dollars in negative rates and demographic deflationary factors around the world, that rates really can't take off uh, because the world is simply getting older and older. It's really fascinating. So right now, ahead, yeah, right now we're sitting at, at with a tenure at 240, and so what that would say is that there's only 60 basis points to get to the upper end of your channel. Yeah. Uh, do you see us moving that way? I mean, because that's still a pretty big effect on mortgage rates if we add another yeah. half a point in rate. And, and I would right. add, and if if so, when? I'm as interested in as a win is as much as your top end. Here, here's right as of right now, because you know I do this bond market stuff for for financial websites of the week. That 227 and 262 are your key levels. If you break under 227, you're going to go to a one handle again. If you could break above 262 and get some follow through action, we'll hit the three percent and we'll test that range. So right now we're kind of in a wide channel right now, but uh, you know, look at headline risks creating sell offs in bond market. This is going to be a very unique four years because we've never had a president actually call out business and business leaders by name and by company. Um, so as, as President-elect Trump said, the free market is the dumb market. So we have a different type <laughs> of Republican president that is willing to call out private companies 
And if anything headline where they actually talk about maybe they're going to actually do spending, uh, they're actually going to do deficit spending, which actually be a positive for the country, then maybe you could get see the bond market sell off and get to that level. But as of right now, this, these, these channels have actually held their own. And um, uh, if 227 breaks in the next few weeks, then you, you'll see a one handle. So uh, headline risk is more of a reality in this cycle than probably in the past, just because of President-elect Trump's um, aggressiveness in, in, in making policy via his Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's interesting. Joe, do you have anything else? I've mean, got a million questions. I've got some really interesting questions that are coming in, Logan. I've got several people wanting to know just, you know, we've talked about housing, and there's a, I want to, several people. Here's a, a reoccurring question, so get ready for this one coming here after a few more. But I want to go into economics, and then for our listeners that are sending me text messages and emails, yes, I will get to what his strategy is as an originator as we get closer to the end of the program so uh, this segment so um let's talk about economics you are are you seeing you're saying inflation's not a big issue not a big something we should be concerned about um oh you know, let's start with inflation you know, and then go to employment you know um when has inflation been an issue recently inflation has been falling for 34 36 years you are always told never to buy the long end of the bond market because inflation <laughs> will come back. And guess what happens? Four decades. You know, I have to give the gold bugs this and the Jim Grant and all these people. If I was wrong for four decades, I wouldn't even show my face on TV. But, but they keep showing up. And I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing that people can be wrong for four decades and still show themselves, you know, as being valid. I, I, to me, inflation is a boogeyman. I think demographics is a deflationary factor. Uh, I think uh, uh, what we saw in the late 70s, oil prices, food prices, you know, in core sense, Malthus failed. Population grew, and we were able to supply people with stuff, and that's part of globalization. And the deflationary factors are still sticking in place. So I'm not not afraid of a 1970s inflation spike. Um, and we, we yeah. the whole world has deflationary factors, and I think the U.S. is, is has been keeping in that you know core two percent, two three percent, you know inflationary uh, channel. And, and inflation will pick up this year just because oil prices are higher. Uh, inflation expectations are coming higher just because oil prices are higher. So you're going to see the headline numbers start to really pick up just because oil has gone from twenty six dollars to over fifty dollars, and you'll see that in the number. But outside of that, you know. Inflation hasn't been an issue. It's more of a boogeyman, and it's more based on what we call currency-induced inflation. People actually think that the more debt we borrow, it will create a currency-induced inflation that the dollar will collapse. The exact opposite has happened. The dollar got stronger because the dollar typically gets stronger before the first Fed rate hike. It happened that the dollar spiked. Oil got crushed. We saw the PMI recession bears basically say that U.S. is on the verge of recession. 2015 and 2016, it didn't happen. It cost us about 200 to 300,000 jobs, but that's more in um, oil states. We still have 165 million people working. We have 43-year lows in unemployment claims. Job openings hit a world record high at 5.9 million last year. The duration of job openings uh, for America is the highest in the world. Next to Germany, Germany has an excuse. They're very old. They need people to fill in those jobs. <laughs> we just have a very, we just have a very light demographic patch, 
which, you know, our big age demographics are about to kick in in the next so, few years. That'll be a bonus for America. That's, that's going to be a bonus for us, yes. And so not to worry about this. So the two factors for rate hikes will be, you know, the feds have said we're going to be watching employment, employment and inflation. So you're saying not an issue on inflation, but we are seeing some good solid job growth. Joe, Joe turned me on to the job opening and labor turnover survey, the JOLTS report. I love that report. And it's interesting that Janet Yellen, as Joe advises us, tells us that that's one of the ones that she pays most attention to. And so what about – It's very very interesting with the JOLTS. The last two years, if you look at my economic predictions, I've, I've lowered my monthly job creation numbers. Okay? That was the right call. I'm doing it again. Because wow. the notion that the notion that 96 million people are out of work or 47 or 50 or whatever, this it, it's just not factually true. If you if we really did have these millions and millions of people, they'd be they're rushing to these jobs. Construction job openings have had double digit growths for three years now. Job openings in almost every single field in the U.S. are at 21st century highs. What you have is you're missing about 2.3 million prime age labor force people. Uh, women that are staying at home are running about 14 to 15% of the total population of women. We can't expect yeah. women to come out and work. So I think that the JOLTS numbers will stick around here. But ECI wage inflation, Jan, Yellen's favorite, is running almost at 4%. We talked about that last year. I said if ECI wage inflation gets near 4%, about 39 right now, look for the Fed to hike rates. Exactly at 3.9%, they did the hiking. So I'm not sure if the Fed is really going to be pushing interest rates as long as there's <laughs> deflation in Europe and Japan, um, because we, our bond market really can't deviate too much from those yields. And uh, uh, unless you see wage inflation really pick up and headline inflation really pick up and core inflation pick up, I, I think the Fed, uh, the Fed rate hike cycle is going to be the lowest we've ever seen in the last 40 years. So do are we going to see three – Fed rate hikes this year, in your I, opinion? I, 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 I doubt it. I One to two, but keep your eye on wage inflation. Wage inflation is picking up. The, the Trump economy will have better wage inflation numbers. We're at 2.9% on the BLS. We're at almost 4% on UCI. So if that continues to grow, then you'll see more rate hikes because that's how the Fed operates. Uh, but to look at core inflation as a factor, it's, it's, it's since the start of this century, core inflation has been running at 2%. PCE inflation, another thing the Fed always talks about, has been below 2%, 50% of the time for the last 20 years. I don't expect that to really take off either. So you can make an argument that the Fed actually kept rates too high in the last cycle, but you know they, they really saw the housing bubble as being a, uh, an issue that they needed to burst. So... Yeah. Uh, I just don't think the Fed's going to be hiking. I've always had this opinion for many years now that the Fed rate hike cycle is going to be very limited, um, more a 2020 to 2024 storyline. Well, it's, it's fascinating as you look at this, especially I'm looking at the U6 number right now. And uh, it, while it is, I mean, all the numbers are trending down. It's really looking good. So a lot of people have written me while you've been on here. Uh, it's well known that you are a loan originator. You're working in your family business. Your dad started the company, and a lot of people are saying, okay, beyond the loan chart guy and the housing guru and all the other predictions and taking on the folks in CNBC and uh, at the Wall Street Journal, uh, and there are some of the predictions. I mean, you're famous for what you've done to knock on the door and respectfully challenge them for some of their assertions out there. So how – several people are wanting this. What is Logan's strategy 
for war originating loans in 2017. And what are your recommendations of where should originators be most effective to have the greatest amount of consistent growth in production? Well, we're going to be having a purchase market for some time now. The refinance market most likely is dead. The supply of people that can refinance is, to me, the lowest we've ever seen in history. So if you want to focus on purchase market, you need to develop relationship with realtors. And if you want to use social media like I have, like, for example, I'm going to be speaking at the California Association of Realtors Economics Conference at the end of this month with economist John Huskin. I'm going to put myself out there in front of the main directors of the CAR. People will know who I am, and they think, whoa, there's a loan officer too. That's how I've used social media to boost my business up. It's just because I've created a social media footprint, but, you know, because of my, you know, it's more of my economic <laughs> life. I rarely talk about my business. I rarely wow. talk about mortgage. I just talk about, you create a social footprint on LinkedIn. I have, um, you know, more than 25,000 followers there. If you create a big enough 25,000 followers yeah. on LinkedIn. Are you serious? People, yeah. yeah. People like charts. <laughs> you're, right? I, I, you're a maniac. I, you're, I'm good. The revenge of the nerds have come back. Um, so <laughs> if you create a big enough social enough footprint, you know, you can get people's name and face recognition. And if they respect you for who you are, that's, that's a way at least that I have done. You know, traditionally everyone, mortgage people have their ways of, you know, uh, uh, of advertising. Uh, my way was a little bit more unconventional. So uh, I took that route of using social media, <laughs> but more or less never even talking about my business. It was more or less talking about economics. It has created a big social footprint. Uh, know that the demographics of this country are ages 21 to 26. Know that a lot of these people are renting. Uh, know that you know in, in a few years, these people will buy homes. And they have been buying homes. The millennials are the biggest buyers in the uh, purchase market and because they're ages 30 to 34 now. Uh, focus on that group, focus on realtors who are actually looking to focus on that group. Know that technology has changed our industry uh, unbelievably. We have the ability to do things so fast. We don't even have to uh, ask for pay stubs or bank statements anymore. We do this verifications of income and employment. Uh, uh, young realtors know how to market to young uh, first-time home buyers. That's the way to go because that's the marketplace. Um, if you established your credibility, we, you know, we've had our company for 30 years now, so we have already know that the first-time owners are, are going to come back to us. But if you want to hit the demographics, find out where these young people are renting. They're, that's the future right there. It's the so, biggest group in the United States of America. So several people are saying, okay, Logan, how are you doing this? I mean, it, it, several people have said, I'm not an economist. I, I'm not going to go out there. I mean, he's, you have taken on, because you have a passion for this. You've studied this. In, in previous broadcasts, you talked about how you studied this. It's been a passion of yours for the, from the earliest day or early, some of your earliest mm-hmm. days. But what would you advise for someone who, how can they use social media effectively in their area of interest. I tell people, first of well, all, they, is find they, out what that area of interest is. And then, and then yeah, how do they split it? Find Go out ahead. what you, you, yeah, exactly. Find out if your passion is your business, talk about your business, go online, talk about your business, use these social media avenues, use LinkedIn, use uh, Instagram, yeah. use Facebook. The scalability of social media is unbelievable. 
you know, and that's, you know, I, I, don't, don't, that's don't do what I do. I, I, I always tell people, yeah. don't follow what I follow. Don't, don't wake up at four o'clock in the morning and look at every single economic report and post uh, 20 or 30 charts a day. That's, that's, you're not going to be successful doing that, <laughs> but talk about your business. Talk about the housing market. Talk about things that you feel comfortable talking about and just expand that social footprint. Yeah. Okay. Because you have the ability. Now the thing is it takes a lot of time. I yeah, admit, that, that twenty five thousand didn't happen overnight. You know, it takes a lot of time, and you know, of course, family, you know, things that you have to budget. But if you're efficient in your time each day, you can easily make some time for yourself to do a little bit of that. And like I said, it, it, it it's, it's do, slow and steady, and yeah. it's it's day after day after day. Small oh, steps can lead to big things. Uh, be patient. Don't don't get discouraged. Don't let it go. You know, I started this in 2010. I I was a nobody. I was just a little loan officer in the family business. I was speaking at the AmeriCatalyst conference with economists. Now I know. Um, now yeah, it's a result yeah. of being on my program here. That's a, Tony's a good yeah. friend, and she invited you. And yeah. You did an awesome job too, standing toe to toe with a lot yeah. of these top top people. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun. But you can do yourself what you feel passionate and comfortable of talking. You know, yep. um, so don't, don't, don't do the economic thing. I, I tell people, if you do the economic things online, these, these troll people will eat you alive. Um, <laughs> but find something that you feel passionate about talking about and then create a social footprint and do it every single day. And over time and time, remember name and face recognition, what you do for a living, uh, they will, um, uh, more and more people will know who you are. And I think that's the, that, that's at least with my strategy. Uh, and res- majority of all businesses come yeah. through that way. For people that want to get a hold of you, Logan, we're out of time. So, how is the best way for people to connect with you? And also, we've given your website out a couple more times, but a couple of times. So, but go ahead and do it again. And then, how can people connect with you? Most no, the, the, the fastest is the easy way. If you do have a Facebook page, just type in Logan Motoshami. You can go to Facebook page. It's about seven thousand people there. We talk about economics. <laughs> we, we don't allow cursing or bad people on the page. We kick everyone out who who are just miserable people that just want to curse. So you can do that. You can do it on LinkedIn as well. Uh, um, you know, I'm a top 1% on LinkedIn, uh, which is my name. You can find my information there. Uh, connect through social media and then, you know, develop relationships with that and grow, grow your footprint because this is, this is the future now. This uh, is the, the future. Yeah. Box and faxes. I remember in the 90s, trans box and faxes and marketing, right. you know, use, use, use. Use the technology to your advantage. Don't get behind the curve. Uh, uh, be passionate. Talk about what you're passionate about. If it's interesting, people will listen to you. Yeah. Uh, but whatever it is, just get out there. Don't be afraid. Yeah, I think that's great advice. A number of people have written me while on this program today saying, please have Logan back just to talk more about this. A lot of people are wanting to learn how to do this. So, um, Terry, my Terry Sellers, the, my uh, producer, is listening, and we're going to schedule you on when we get closer to the technology segment of our – we've got a whole month we're going to be focusing on technology. We need to have you back and just talk about just this. Of course, if you slip in a little economic update, that's fine because you're passionate about it. But we do want to talk about this more. It's a big topic. It's important people get this right. So good to have you with us, Logan. Thank you so much. Sure, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. Always fun to have you, friends. So much fun. Next week, folks, we're going to have Bill Cosgrove on, and he is 
is uh, going to be talking about his journey in the industry. He is a leader in the industry. I'm excited to have him on talking ahead of the just ahead of the Independent Mortgage Bankers Conference. Remember, Alice and I will be presenting next week at the yeah next uh, next Wednesday, Independent Mortgage Bankers Conference in Palm Springs. Palm Springs, California. So anyway, look forward to having you there. Bill will be our guest on the radio program. Uh, we're catching up with him. It'll be a pre-recorded program, but it's always good to have Bill on the program. And we'll look forward to be sharing some of the things that's helped him through his growth cycle. And uh, someone who's definitely got a lot of life in him yet, but he's been at the game for a while. So we're interested to learn what's made him successful and caused him to grow. And we're going to be really focusing on leadership, another big factor that goes into anyone's success. Good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate you being here. And we're looking forward to having you back. Tell others about the program. Share them a link to the program, uh, to the podcast. And we'll look forward to having you back next week. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us again next week, and thank you for listening.